The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. For our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Thursday morning. I um, pulled up our guest here, and there are some things that I forgot to do in the audio settings that I think is messing with the microphone. And there we go. That's much better. I'm sorry about that, folks. Um, <clears throat> you guys know I <laughs> had to reinstall Windows like three times this week uh, to get things back up and running, and so I appreciate your patience. Now we're back up to where our volume ought to be. Okay, if you want to check us out, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. If you want to watch the show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Uh, sonsoflibertymedia.com, scroll down there just on the right. We're on the right side of the page. You can enlarge that and watch the video portion of the show, and you can see a face that's not made for radio. You can see Michael's uh, this morning. You can also check out that live video feed on my Twitter account, FPPTim, FPPTim on Twitter. Or on Facebook at Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. Before it's news.com, Michael Roach has given us a spot over there every weekday morning at 6 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m. And then Bradley's on at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Saturday. You can check us out there. And finally at DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty there at DLive.tv. Thank you to our friends over there who are joining us as well. And also, uh, Spreely Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media, depending on whichever one we could get a hold of at the time. Uh, if you'd like to call in, maybe you have a question for Michael that you don't want to pose to him, you've got a comment, please stick to the topic that we're talking about here. It is 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255. Those who are watching in across the video platforms, the number's there in the bottom right of your screen if you want to do that. And um, I think that's everything. Okay, so we've talked some about Lindsey Graham uh, here in South Carolina. For years, some of us have been trying to get him out of office. Uh, and I, I didn't make no bones about it. I think some of the things, many of, well, not many, but some of the things that uh, Lindsey Graham has done uh, border, well, they don't border, they cross the line of treason uh, to sit there and supply America's enemies with uh, money and arms and training and all of that and get behind that kind of thing and to run interference for justice to be brought is treasonous to me. Um, I think it's treasonous. It would have been treasonous to our forefathers. And many of us have been trying to get him out for many years. 
I believe it was several years ago, I supported Lee Bright. I put out signs for him. I um, you know, went to the campaigns and stuff like that, and I interviewed Lee Bright. And, of course, Lee Bright didn't win because I don't know what it is with South Carolinians. They wanted Lindsey Graham right back in there. But in any case, we there's another opportunity to remove uh, Lindsey Graham. And that is coming from at least one challenger by the name of Michael LaPierre. Now, Michael, we had him on uh, the show when it was setting brush fires before. And we've been, uh, I spoke with E. Ray Moore this week, and he says, uh, you know, have you had have you had Michael on? And it was kind of interesting. I said, yeah. I said, as a matter of fact, we scheduled to have a show today. And so I want to welcome to the show, um, to the Sons of Liberty, Senate can- U.S. Senate candidate Michael LaPierre. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm going to set you up because we Michael got in a little bit late, so I'm going to set him up while uh, he gives a little introduction. Michael, tell people a little bit about yourself, and what we're going to do is I'm going to set them up so they'll be able to see you on camera, okay? Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for the opportunity to sure. share. Uh, I am a, uh, uh, I have lived a God-ordained life, Tim. I, my uh, my life is is surrounded by two bookends. The first bookend uh, I grew up on a farm. I grew up, uh, there were periods of, of my life where I was on, on welfare. My, my mom and dad were just dirt poor. And, but we, we eventually, you know, moved out of that. And my father worked his way out of that. And then the other bookend, uh, I retired to a farm. We have a 69 acre equestrian farm in Pickens. And so, but in between those two bookends, is a God ordained life. Uh, you you couldn't have written this script. Uh, I I I was privileged to go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, that's right. This poor dirt poor farm boy w- was able to go to an Ivy League school, and you know what was so cool is I did a double major, political science and business, uh, and then uh, I also studied under some of the foremost conservative. Uh, thinkers of our day, uh, How- Howard Baker, who was uh, Ronald Reagan's chief of staff, and also Gene Kirkpatrick uh, came through Brown University. They were visiting scholars, visiting professors, and and uh, and that was really really neat to get that level of training. Uh, well, then I graduate. I signed a professional baseball contract with the Montreal uh, Expos. It's now the uh, you know them as the Washington Nationals. And it was during that period that my life changed. I, I got down on my knees uh, and asked Christ to save me in center field on a professional baseball diamond. You know, right after a game one night, uh, the lights were still on. It was just me, uh, no one around. I, I, I went out to my position. I got down on my knees and asked Christ to save me. From there, uh, uh, I eventually got my uh, my MBA at Clemson University. I I was privileged to do a 4.0 uh, MBA at Clemson uh, and, and then spent 33 years in the corporate world. I was a vice president of sales at a Fortune 500 company and a global strategist, a business strategist at a Fortune 50 company. And we did about $65 billion with a B. Uh, and, and then God led me. I retired early uh, to a farm and God led me about uh, six, seven years ago now. Uh, to start a Christian Leadership Worldview Foundation, where I travel uh, within South Carolina, I travel in the United States and around the world, and I teach on Christian leadership principles. I am a homeschool dad 
uh, and uh, I'm a homeschool. I'm proud to say uh, that I am a homeschool grandfather. My four children, uh, uh, grandchildren, my my oldest son is homeschooling their children as well. So that's you know in a in a couple of minutes, uh, kind of my life uh, background. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And a lot of people are uh, they they like that. They say they love farmers and they want to replace Lindsey Graham. In fact, somebody has said, please replace Lindsey Graham. But they get a little bit of a flavor of who you are. And uh, obviously, you're from South Carolina. Uh, but some of your background there, I mean, uh, you professional baseball, and now you're doing what you're doing, teaching Christ- Christian principles. And now you've decided, and look, I, you know, I commend you for wanting to stand up and actually run for office, because this is a this is a dirty, this is a dirty game. And uh, that gets involved in, and it's not supposed to be. Those who are in authority, who are placed in authority, are supposed to be the ministers of God. And so that's really the foundation. So right. there are a lot of things I know that you and I agree on that we've talked about before. And I, I'm going to bring up something that I heard in one of your things a little bit later on. But I kind of want to get to some of these, these I don't know, hot-button issues, if you will. Sure. Some of the things that we talked about in our previous um, interview was red flag laws. Now, you're against those. Um, the president has been for them. Lindsey Graham has been for them. Uh, and we've seen uh, under this administration, I think, 19 states that have implemented red flag laws, against, the, which is against the Constitution. Nobody stopped them. They've implemented those things. Uh, and the, the, the Department of Justice is trying to give money to, the, to states to implement red flag laws. Can you speak to that as far as your position is concerned? Yeah, I, I am a constitutional carry kind of guy. Uh, I look at, I read my Second Amendment. That is, you know, my my uh, uh, authority, right? That is my authority on guns. Uh, I believe that uh, concealed carry and open carry without permit is the way to go. I, I think guns are a deterrent. Uh, we need uh, guns in society so families can protect themselves and can can protect themselves from the the long arm of the government uh, ultimately. And so uh, the red flag laws is uh, that you just brought up. Every time there's a mass shooting, Lindsey Graham runs to the microphone, doesn't he? He runs to the press and starts calling for these red flag laws. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That infringes my second, fourth, fifth, 14th Amendment rights. It infringes my property rights, my due process, and my gun rights. And uh, that's not what I read in the Constitution. So, you know, Lindsey Graham and others have called for uh, accelerated due process. Well, that's a phony way or, or, or a way to finesse uh, the, the voter or, or, or the, the electorate. Uh, it's not due process. If you go and, and the red flag laws are a backdoor way to take our guns, if you go take the guns and then you go to some for lack of a better word, some tribunal or some secular humanist committee, uh, and they adjudicate, oh, yeah, uh, we're going to you know, do this, that. And well, that's not due process. Due process is you have your day in court. You, we all know that on this call, uh, on this Zoom meeting. Uh, so Lindsey Graham has it wrong on uh, the red flag laws. It's not the right way to go. It's an infringement on our gun rights. And I will say no to that every single time. Uh, I'm, I grew up, I'm a hunter. Uh, I love guns and I love my constitutional rights. I'm a constitutional conservative for, first and foremost. That's what we're going to do in Washington, 
D.C., is we are going to look at the Constitution and, and legislate with that in mind. The Bible first, uh, and then our Constitution will drive my thinking. All right, good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, part of that Second Amendment does talk about a, a militia, and the militia has been demonized by a lot of po- politicians. And yet, when we go to Article Two, Section Eight, it says that Congress has the power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union. Now, that's that's interesting because they're demonized while we stick in a whole bunch of alphabet agencies. To do that, and, and part of that is they execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. And yet, we don't see the militia anywhere. In fact, it, it goes on to say to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. Um, and then it goes on to talk about laws that they can make and, and things of this nature. And one of the questions I have is, as a U.S. senator, would you be vocal in bringing this back, bringing Congress back to their duty to bring about a militia? Because, sadly, we're in need of one. I mean, we're that that's just – I mean, part of the Second Amendment is they're there to ensure a free state, and then the issue separate from the militia is the right of the people to keep and bear arms. So I think that's individually. I think the Supreme Court has upheld that. And the reason they have those is so they can be part of that militia, not just when there's a mass shooting. I agree with that. But this is here, too. Would you be a guy who would who would go in and seek to re-implement uh, the militia in the U.S. Senate? Anything, Tim, any, anything in the Constitution I will be willing to go uh, back to the Senate or when, I, when I'm elected and lobby and make sure that we are following our Constitution. I think militias have their place. I think, you know, it, it, and, le, and let's talk about the Constitution. Look at our, our religious freedoms in this country. Look at, you know, look at our free speech in this country. Uh, look at our... Uh, the, the freedom to assemble and the harassment that conservatives are getting in this country. So we've got to, I am a constitutional conservative and, 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 and I don't know, you know, for me, that's pretty black and white. I mean, either you believe the, the constitution and the entirety of the constitution or you don't. And, and so, so what the, the progressive liberals and, and the, and the uh, socialist hacks uh, have done over the years uh, is really brainwashed us to think uh, that everything that the Constitution stands for is politically incorrect. And I'm saying that the Constitution, we need to, re- need to raise that high and believe every word of it. Not a living and breathing uh, uh, you know, way to, to interpret the Constitution uh, no, we need to look at the traditional and the original intent, the Anthony Scalia uh, view of the Constitution and say, that is what I believe. And so I don't want to be taken down a socialist path. That's where the Democrats, the progressive liberals and the rhinos, you know, they're thinking, they're thinking is with a secular humanist worldview. And that is a dangerous path for capitalism for the freedoms and liberties we have in America. And, and we need more people that are going to stand up 
uh, for the Constitution. I, I think there's a, a good senator out there and, and uh, sorry, uh, House member Massey. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yep, I was going to I'm going to I'm going to bring him up, actually, in just a little bit yeah, uh, yeah. when we get to the issue of the, 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 the current situation that we're in with COVID-19. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. We, we uh, So great. I'm glad you are, because there are a lot of real good folks uh, you know, Rand Paul and the Ted Cruz's of the world and the, and the Massey's in the house and, and a lot of good conservative people that all of a sudden they're, they're realizing we've got to recommission our thinking back to the, the foundational elements of our constitution. It's, it's virtue and it's religion. And, and it's a, you know, it, it's a belief that those bylaws, you know, it, we were given a charter the Declaration of Independence, and we were given the bylaws. It's the Constitution of the United States of America, and they t- and and, our, and and it talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life and the pursuit of health, and and liberty, our civil liberties, and and the pursuit of happiness, or or, or you know the economic prosperity, the pursuit of property, and and the mobility to 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 do all that. And wow, I mean, isn't that a pretty decent model, right? For not only life as, as a citizen, but isn't that a model for those elected officials to follow? Not to give lip service to, but please follow our Constitution. No, I, to- I totally agree. Now, we've got a question from the chat, and this is one I was going to bring up anyway, but we'll go ahead and bring it up now. It says, will education be a platform issue for you? Oh, hugely, hugely. And, and so I'm excited to to, to mention that the the United States uh, parents involved in education organization, the U.S. Pi, uh, they they endorse me, and, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, so I, I've written I day day one in Congress. I've already got a bill uh, that that I'm going to sponsor. It's the Truth in Education Act, and I want to uh, I want to make sure that we change the dynamics in, in education where, where secularism, the, the religion of secular humanism uh, that, was, uh, uh, that has the, uh, the free the tax exemption uh, and, and also uh, the conscientious objector status. So, so secular humanism for the free exercise clause was designated a religion by the Supreme Court of the United States. And, and that's, the, that's the playing field, if you will, that we're on is that religion is it uh, infiltrated our public school system. And so I'm going to propose a truth and education act where we get back to a panoramic understanding of education, where we, where we're teaching not only, you know, just basic history, but Christian history. And, and, and I know that's going to be a revelation uh, to a lot of people but right now we have a religion in our schools. It's secularism. And I'm going to uh, fight and, and elbow my way in as a senator to make sure that truth is being taught in our public schools. And, and so I believe in school choice. I, I believe it's every parent's uh, responsibility uh, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord uh, to craft, design a, a educational experience that's geared towards the bent of, of their child. And for me, I believe it's homeschooling. We also uh, took a couple of classes uh, at, at a local Christian school because it, it helped fill in and it, and it uh, 
uh, help the kids, you know, just uh, be around other Christians. Um, but you know, some parents, if if they decide that they want to send their kids to to public school, I wouldn't advise it. But if they do, uh, then you know, make sure that your child is taking advantage of the release time program. For for example, in South Carolina, fifteen thousand kids a year, uh, public school kids, are able to go off site and get Bible training uh, during the public school hour. Fifteen thousand, and it's something, Tim, that people don't even know about. You know, a lot of folks in South Carolina, when you mention release time, uh, they look at you cross-eyed and what's that? I asked Senator Graham uh, about release time. You know, before I ran, I was up in Washington uh, lobbying uh, for Christian laws and Christian principles. And he looked at me sideways of, what's that? Uh, and then I told him about it. And, and that's a, you know, besides the, the abortion issue and the, and the prayer and public school issue, release time is where kids can come to know Christ as their Savior. Right in Pickens County, over 100 kids through release time came to know Christ as their Savior. And Graham, in his snarky little way, says, well, if the Christians aren't galvanized enough already, they never will be. That, to him, was how important that issue is, a snarky comment. And, you know, I'm talking about abortion. You know, I'm talking about prayer in public school. I'm talking about kids getting saved. And all he could do uh, was snark at me. Uh, and I think that was shameful. Well, I do, too. I do, too. Now, there's a question that I want to follow up with because, you know, school choice means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. They think, you know, what well, means I can choose the education for my kids. And that should be a liberty. In fact, um, you know, one of the things you're talking about there, I don't know how that would play out under Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, because even in the school choice model, that stuff's coming after homeschoolers. Uh, we, we do a show specifically on Wednesdays that deals with nothing but the usurpation of the Constitution by the federal government to be involved in education at all. Now, I, you know, I know you, you said you're going to push some of these things. I don't know how that would work. But my question is, where in the Constitution, and I, I got my little pocket Constitution because I'm going to bring up some things here. Where in the Constitution does it give the federal government any say-so in education? That's, that, that's exactly right. And so if you, if on my website, uh, if you go to the piece on education reform, uh, I peel back uh, the, uh, uh, the the whole Department of Education. I, and I've got a 10-year period of rollback. I mean, I personally, I'd love to just wave the wand and, and, and you know, one day, you know, we, we, we just implode the Department of Education. But I want to have a phased approach where we draw down and eliminate the, the Department of Education. We've got to push it back to the states, back to the to the parents. Ultimately, uh, I do not want the government uh, telling me how to raise my children and educate my children. When uh, the homeschool, you, you, you're probably familiar with the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund. Uh, I was homeschooling in a state. Uh, the, I was a, a corporate guy, and, and I got bounced to a, a particular state, and uh, and all of a sudden, I get a letter. Uh, from them telling me that I had to uh, show them, you know, my child's outline of their curriculum. And I, I thought, no, that's not happening. So I get the homeschool legal defense uh, involved and they sent them this long legal brief that says, this is none of your business, uh, you know, in their polite world, I wouldn't have been quite as polite, but uh, they were, they were polite. And, uh, and then they pointed to another, 
a school district in that state and said, hey, by the way, not only do you get it wrong, but you need to model this state over here, which, you know, because it's none of your business. And uh, and, and long story short, uh, they made an about face and said, yeah, OK, you, you know, you don't need to do this. And, and so that that's you know, what I believe. I, I believe that the government has no role. Uh, no oversight. It's the parents' responsibility, and we've got to work towards that end. Now, again, not going to be uh, you know an overnight thing. We've got to work hard to dismantle all of the you know just because we're we're so attached at the hip with government, right? I mean, we are not small government. If anyone thinks that we're a small government, uh, we're not. That's you know, we're not what the the founders intended, and the educational piece is just one more example of where we need to decouple ourselves from the long overreach of our government. Sure. Okay. And I, I think I think we agree that federal government shouldn't have anything in there. And it's going to take more than just getting rid of the Department of, of Education. As Lynn and I talk about on Wednesdays, this thing is interwoven. There is a globe, and it's been since Reagan. I believe it's Charlotte Eisebert who came out and she pointed out what was going on in, under the Reagan administration. And Reagan knew that when Jimmy Carter implemented the Department of Education, he's, he said it was unconstitutional, but he gets in and he doesn't. He keeps it. And so um, she comes out and shows exactly what's going on. That continues in the Trump administration. They're continuing to push a United Nations uh, kind of agenda in education and this has it has to go beyond just an elimination of the Department of Education. I really believe, Michael, in all honesty, if we really wanted to to take down the idols, and public education is an idol, it's put up, oh, it's for the children. It, it robs us of, you know, billions of dollars every year, uh, and our kids are actually getting stupider in the public school system. And um, one of the things that, that, that really, really bothers me is the tentacles it's going it's not just going in it's under the name of education but it's getting in our work it's getting in who where we can rent a house or who we can rent a house to or all of these things what what our job it's actually forming us into uh, our the next generation into a bunch of little communist worker bees is what it's doing it's indoctrination it's not education so uh, go ahead yeah, yeah no I, I i totally agree it, it's it's like that those star wars uh uh, I've got this visual in my head, uh, and, and I don't even know what they're called. My my kids, I'm sure, would tell you, but they they have all these army, you know, soldiers in the these white uniforms with the helmets, and they're all marching in lockstep, and and that is uh, their intent is to uh, indoctrinate uh, indoctrinate us with a secularist worldview, and you know, there's there's two choices. The way I look at it on the shelf, you either uh, believe in yourself and, and philosophical naturalism and humanity uh, in all that they uh, espouse, or you believe in a creator God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and so uh, we have to get back to, uh, again, getting a small understanding uh, how they are manipulating and finessing our thinking and, and really work uh, to getting back to a constitutional uh, understanding a Judeo-Christian understanding uh, of of how we it, it's it's all worldview. I mean, when it when it all is said and done, we've got to do a better job of espousing a Christian leadership worldview, and and we have not. I mean, and, and unfortunately, we have allowed the secularist 
uh, to run us over. And I think there's a there's going to be a convergence based on this COVID-19. I think that the good Lord is setting up uh, the scenario where Christians have said enough. And, 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 and I'm seeing it all over, not only in South Carolina, Tim, but I'm seeing it all over the United States. People are mad at the overreach uh, of, of the limited uh, you know, constitutional authority that we now have because they are taking us on a direct path uh, to totalitarianism, and they're doing it in increments. And, and here's what I want to share. There's a ladder with five rungs. The first is classical liberalism. The second is progressivism. The third is Democrat socialism. The fourth is uh, Marxist-Leninism. And the fifth is totalitarianism. We are about to step on that third rung if we haven't already, uh, based on the size and the bloat of our government. Uh, and, and that's the political ideology right there. That's the latter. Uh, the religious ideology is secular humanism. And if you study the tenets of each of those, secular humanist religion, the, the totalitarian, you know, the, the political ideology of communism and socialism, Marxism, all of that, it's the same thing. It is control of your every move. And when we start to look and have a Christian leadership worldview that understands that, I think we have a better idea of what we need to do uh, in our families and as your senator when I go to Washington, D.C., I will be legislating with that uh, worldview. Okay. Uh, Michael, you, uh, we've got a caller on the line, and I'm going to bring them on. I think they probably have a question they want to ask. Caller, are you there? Uh, yes, Tim. Good morning. It's Jenny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I wanted to talk, ask Michael about the issue that we have with justice in Washington. We have, like, corrupt individuals such as we know James Comey, um, James Clapper, Hillary Clinton and all who have committed crimes against the United States that they are not being held accountable for. So I want to know where he stands on that and how he's going to deal with that if it crops up when he's in Washington. Yeah, I I think it's a great, excellent, excellent question. Uh, I write about corruption in politics on my website, LaPierreforSenate.com. Go to my positions tab and you will see that I am a hawk on corruption. Uh, We need to put, and I'll just boil it down. We need to put people in jail uh, when they break our laws. Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, he believes, in my opinion, that there's two sets of laws on the books. And I don't know if any, if your listening audience knew that, Lindsey Graham thinks that uh, you have the the laws for the political elite, the political class, uh, and then you have the laws for ordinary citizens. Uh, I do not believe that for a second. I believe that we've got to enforce our laws when the political elite break our laws. They need to be held accountable. Amen. Uh, and so, so, amen. So, yay. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And, and, and what we need to do uh, is. You know, Graham is, doesn't want to set a precedence on calling and subpoenaing power with, with uh, Obama. I disagree. You know, that his, he took an oath of office to uphold the Constitution, and we need to call whoever we need to call that 
who had, if they've broken our laws, call them, try them, put them in jail or whatever else needs to be done. Uh, because I do not believe you can have two sets of books. We've got one constitution. We are a country of the rule of law. And Senator Graham, do your job. All right. Joni, does that answer your question? That does answer my question. Okay. And that is what we need to hear from all running candidates, those exact words. All right. All right. Thank you for the call, so, Joni. We appreciate thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank all you right. so much. I appreciate you. All right, there goes Joni. Okay, let's. Um, there, there's um, a couple of other things. Now we're we may run against the clock. I don't know if you want to stay over a couple of minutes. If we do, because we're there were several issues that I wanted to hear. Now the other one uh, is a is probably the biggest one that I can that I can think of. Uh, and by the way, let me throw in that uh, I am for biblical law. I, I think you are as well. And I think jail. I think the prison system is really an affront to God. God didn't institute that. And, uh, you know, for you know thefts and things, those are really civil matters between people. If somebody steals something from them, they're there to repay the person plus uh, some money or restore their property, whatever the case may be. So I don't think they ought to be in jail, and then everybody else have to pay to keep them up. I don't think that's the issue. I think for issues where we're talking about, where she's bringing out, where we've got traitors in the government, People who are treasonous towards the people, I think they get a dirt nap. I think that's very clear, and it happens out in the open. It happens in the community. The community takes part in it, and it's the Bible says that when these things happen, it's so that the people learn to fear. And I don't think, one, it's fear, don't do what this person did, but it's fear of the Lord. I mean, his law is law, whether we try to manipulate it or change it or not. And um, so I think oftentimes we've started, We what we did was we started a prison system to house people just for, till they could be tried and then sentenced. Now we do it as their sentence. And I think it's, it's an injustice to the criminal as well as to the population, because then the population has a gun held to their head. Oh, you're going to pay us taxes or we're going to throw you in there with the guy who we should have given the dirt nap. So I think all of that is a really corrupt system. I think it's an unbiblical system. Um, and I've made no apology about that, but... With that said, uh, some people say, well, how can you be for the death penalty and yet be for um, protecting life? Well, it's real simple. One, when you have a death penalty, you're dealing with somebody who's committed a a capital crime and only a capital crime. And I think the Bible lists 10 or 12 things that are actual capital crimes. So you deal with a couple of people. It's happened out in the open. People aren't as prone to go do that because they know it's going to be swift. It's going to be right out in public. They're going to lose their life over those kinds of things. But when we talk about preserving life in South Carolina, you know, we had uh, Governor McMaster say that he wants to uh, sign a personhood bill. Now, he calls it a perfect personhood bill. So uh, I understand that sometimes politicians use those languages to see what they can dance around with or whatever. Uh, But so far, that's not come through. And I know you're, you claim to be very pro-life. I think you want to abolish human abortion here in the state of South Carolina. And so what, what is your efforts in that? I mean, not just what your position is, but what, it, what will be your efforts as a U.S. senator to see that, uh, that at least it's not, abortion is not recognized on a federal level um, and that you would, um, I guess, pitch to the legislatures and even the governor in South Carolina to influence them to preserve the life of every American, including those who are unborn in the womb. Yeah, it, there's a, a three-pronged approach. Uh, you can continue as I have and use the bully pulpit um, and use the 
the, the position and, and the authority of Senate and talk about it over and over and over again. Abortion is paganism. It's a pagan ritual uh, and God will not bless us like we could be blessed uh, unless uh, we stop the slaughter uh, of, of the unborn children. So, you know, that's the first thing we, we, we've got to use. I will use the, the bully pulpit and you will hear me time and again uh, from from the belly of the Senate or from when I'm on on any news media. We are going to be talking about the abortion issue and, and making sure that they know that I believe that abortion is is murder. And uh, and so it's going to be much more visible and raw uh, when I'm your senator. The second thing, I will continue to propose legislation. Uh, and, you know, I believe that we need a constitutional amendment uh, to uh, make sure uh, that we are not killing, uh, you know, babies. I, I think it, it, it's illegal. Uh, it's, it's, it's against our Judeo-Christian values. And I think that the government in 1973 and Roe v. Wade, it was simply judicial overreach. Everyone knows that. Uh, they manipulated uh, the case. We've got to uh, you know, get back to um, uh, just a, a holy and righteous understanding of our count constitution. Uh, I said earlier, without virtue and without religion, our constitution will not stand. Uh, if we continue to go down and, 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 and we're talking about abortion here in this specific case, we continue to go, out, go down this path, our constitution will crumble and so will our, our country. Uh, Ro Senator Graham, and here's the difference, and, and speaking of Roe v. Wade, let's, let's get right down to the difference. Graham says he's pro-life, but yet he says that uh, Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. And I quote, uh, I, Graham says that I think you can be conservative and pro-life and still believe in legal precedence. Uh, there's this funny, this, this little term called stare decisis or story decisis. It means legal precedence. And Graham uses that all the time. He says that, that Roe v. Wade is, is settled law uh, and we shouldn't overchange that. And again, he make, makes another little quote that your audience I'm sure is familiar with, unless there's a good reason. Ro Graham, Roe v. Wade shouldn't be overturned unless there's a good reason. Now, I am jumping on the roof and saying the good reason, Senator Graham, is because of the 65 million plus babies Amen. that have been slaughtered since 1973. Mike LaPierre is pro-life. Mike LaPierre uh, believes that Roe v. Wade should be overturned at all costs. And so that is a clear distinction. And, and I, I am very disappointed that there are a lot of uh, Christian evangelicals and people of faith who are willing to overlook that, that fact. Uh, they dance around that issue. They rationalize that issue. Oh, but he's done such good work with, you know, the pro-life and all this and yada, yada, yada. You can't believe in life and still believe that Roe v. Wade must stand. I'm sorry, that does not work. And I'm asking Christians to please pray about that issue. If you think that that, if you can do both, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, we will be at odds uh, time and time again. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, in fact, one of the things that, uh, you know, I brought up with people 
Uh, they've talked about Donald Trump being very pro-life, too. And I know he said some things that are pro-life. I know that he's even done some things that are pro-life. Uh, I think the Title X thing was geared towards that. I think that the removal of funding for Planned Parenthood, uh, foreign, uh, not domestic, but foreign, uh, was tied to that. But, you know, we had a report even come out from Planned Parenthood earlier this year saying in fiscal year 2018 to 2019, they were funded and they, they do 40 percent of the abortions in America. The, uh, let's change that because that's the that's the politically correct term. They do 40 percent of the murders of Americans in America. And they said they were funded more than any other time in their history during that period. And they murdered more babies during that time than any other time in history. Now, this is their own report. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this is coming out of this administration and this Congress. And so when those things happen, see, here's the thing. I think that what we and I I think you agree when people say they're pro-life, that can mean two things. One, they don't want to they don't want to see the reality of what's going on that that they don't want to see that. And they're just fine with the regulation of the murder of the unborn. In other words, well, let's go to the 18 days. Oh, let's go to a heartbeat. Oh, let's go if they feel pain. Well, that's that's sort of subjective, if you ask me. The only way you can actually know uh, where life begins is to go back to conception because everybody will say, well, it happens at this point. Well, you say, well, were they alive the day before? You can take that logic all the way back, and ultimately you come to the only way you can be sure about that is to say life begins at conception. And I don't see why that's hard to understand because— we even have people who aren't Christian who will say, well, you know, this, this, uh, what was the thing that we learned in, in school, the amoeba or whatever, that that thing, that little thing is life. They would consider that life. So I don't understand why the problem is, you know, the conception of a human baby is anything different. In fact, it should be uh, considered more. I I, I agree, uh, Tim. And and if you think um, getting back to, a secular worldview versus a Christian worldview. You and I, you know, in our Judeo-Christian heritage and our background and our training, we are instantly going to go to Jeremiah 1, 5, Psalm 100, verse 3, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, because we understand that God says, you know, he created man, he created life, uh, and, and the womb is sacred. It is life. But the secularists who believe that it's only here and now, that this life is all that we have, uh, then if that's your thinking, then you get to choose who lives and who dies, and you get to you know, choose you know, what is life and what is not life, and, and you know, the whole euthanasia you know, kind of scenario. And it's, it's just the forces of evil versus good. And that's the, you know, when you boil it all down, that, that's what we're dealing with. And so we are we are coming in as salt and light in this in this world and trying to get us back on track. You know, let, let's you know the, the little children, you know, babies in the womb, you know, that's a life. You and I as adults, that's a life. So why are we choosing to kill? you know, one person over another. I mean, how does that make any sense logically? Uh, it does not. Uh, if, if life, if God has ordained life and, and that conception, if we believe life is life, then, you know, we, we're, we're playing Dr. Kevorkian here. And, and I don't believe that for a second. So uh, 
uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a life issue. We'll use the bully pulpit. We'll propose legislation and do everything I can uh, to get Roe v. Wade overturned and stop uh, the mass slaughter of innocent children. Um, that's that's where I fall. Right. Would you support uh, within the state? Because I think, look, I've heard the president say, oh, it's the law of the land. No, it's not. Legislation authority is given to Congress alone, not the judicial branch. And so would you support things like um, sheriffs within the counties of the state of South Carolina? Because our Constitution has a preamble to that. That's the Declaration of Independence. And among the rights that the Creator gives us, the first one they list is the, is the, the right to life. Now, would you support sheriffs within the counties of South Carolina going and by the authority they have, because murder is not tolerated despite what a Supreme Court says— and so would you support them going to um, abortion clinics and shutting them down and saying you've got 30 days to clear out if you commit another, uh, another murder in here of an unborn child, we're going to come and arrest you and we're going to bring charges against you despite – because I think when I read the Constitution, when I see any case that comes forward, when they make a ruling, it is in that case and that case alone that it applies. And the people – uh, they have just taken it, though it's a law. It's the same thing that happened with the issue of marriage. Oh, the Supreme Court made sodomite marriage uh, legal. No, it did not. It ruled in one area where it shouldn't have even been an issue anyway because they were taxing somebody um, over an issue that they shouldn't have been taxing them over. So are, would you be in favor of – would you support sheriffs in the, in the counties – of South Carolina who might say, you know what, we're going to move forward, we're going to deputize people, and we're going to shut this down. We're not going to tolerate uh, the American Holocaust. We didn't tolerate it with Hitler. Why are we tolerating it here in America? Would you support sheriffs who might do something like that, who would who would seek to shut that down and do it lawfully? Yeah, it, and, and I'm not, you know, I'll answer your question, but, you know, we, we've got to keep in mind, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, running for a state, you know, position. I'm, I'm running for the Senate. A little bit different, right? I mean, so my my authority, um, it, you know, within the state is is will be you know on state issues uh, will be somewhat limited. However, uh, I will I believe in any legal process uh, that will stop the killing of of uh, the unborn, uh, and uh, if if we could ever get to the point where it was illegal and we could get uh, law enforcement. Uh, if, if that was part of the the adjudication uh, process, you know, absolutely. I, I want to save people's lives. Now, I'm not an attorney. Um, I, I am a, a businessman. Uh, I uh, I think it's a perspective. I'm a Christian businessman, and I think it's a perspective that we need in Washington D.C. Uh, so, uh, to, to answer your question, I want to save lives. Uh, any way that I can. And uh, if if uh, people, if, if we have a, a law on the books uh, that uh, supports putting people in jail, then I want to put people in jail. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, that that's what I believe. Okay. All right. Now, there's another thing, and this one is probably going to be the most hairy or touchy one. <laughs> you mentioned Thomas Massey a minute ago, and I listened to one of your uh, podcasts, it uh-huh. was on um, the COVID-19 umbrella model. Now, you gave three things under that umbrella, and one of them was about health and, and things of that nature. And I, I want to be clear uh, when I ask you this, because let me set it up. 
we have I don't see anything in the Constitution uh, where the president is allowed to make a national state of emergency. In fact, we know that when those things are done, that's often when there's a lot of bad things that are implemented. I don't see where really the governors are allowed to do that either, because when those things happen, they inevitably infringe on the people's rights or they push a form of Marxism, whether it's socialism, communism, whatever. And we've seen that in the response, both at the federal level and at state levels, even in our state of South Carolina. This whole essential, non-essential business garbage uh, is unlawful. Uh, It is an infringement upon the people's rights. And I've made right. even the, the point that it is an infringement uh, up, upon their religious rights because working is a religious duty that we have. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not work. We focus on the Sabbath, but we, we don't bring that into capacity uh, that Paul says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But the state says, oh, you don't work, and don't worry about it. We'll just print money and give it to you. And, by the way, while we're doing that, while we're kind of uh, – you went to the unconstitutional stimulus, and all you got was this lousy $1,200 check, um, we're going to pay off our banker buddies. We're going to pay off other corporations and businesses, and we're going to keep them afloat and all of these other kinds of things. So when this stimulus came out – so I have to ask, where in the Constitution – the president has the authority to do what he did. That's number one. And then two, when this stimulus came through, all of this unconstitutional spending in it, and here we had Thomas Massey, and I think he's one of a handful of guys, just a handful, who mm-hmm. actually seek to uphold the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he did, this is very interesting. One of the things he did, that we went over this, I think it was earlier in the week, that bill that was introduced was to change the Internal Revenue Code. It was introduced in January of last year. And it sat there after uh, July up until March of this year. Now, Thomas Massey voted for it in its form. And what they did was they stuck all this COVID... I call it a scam. I, I, I just I don't know that I can believe any of those people. They base everything they sell off a germ theory. I'm not going to get into that in here. But... $2.2 to $6.2 trillion is in that, okay? That's, that's debt laid on our backs. It's not constitutional. And here's what Thomas Massey did. He said, when he saw what they had done, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. You're wanting a yay and nay vote by voice? Uh, that's not going to fly. We need names on this. People need to know who's voting for this. And mm-hmm. he did that because of what the Constitution says. People can go to Article um, 1, Section 7, and they'll read here, by, yep. but in all such cases, the votes of both houses shall be determined by yeas and nays, and the names of the persons voting for and against the bill shall be entered on the journal of each house respectively. Now, that's the Constitution, folks. So what did, what did Thomas Massey get for that? Well, Donald Trump said when he did that, looks like a third-rate grandstander named Thomas Massey, a congressman from, unfortunately, a truly great state, Kentucky, wants to vote against this, the new Save Our Workers bill in Congress. He just wants the publicity. He can't stop it, only delay, which is both dangerous and costly. Workers and small businesses need money now in order to survive. Virus wasn't their fault. It is hell dealing with the Dems. Had to give up some stupid things in order to get the big picture done. 90% great, win back house, but throw Massey out of the Republican Party. Now, in signing that bill, Donald Trump was doing the very thing that he said we weren't, a socialist country. Now, we've been a socialist country ever since 1913 when the Federal Reserve came in. 
And you talk about this this thing of the federal government being involved in health. I really don't see anywhere in the Constitution where that is. And if if you want to correct me, I'm happy to be corrected. But can you state the article, section, and clause where he has that authority to do that? Um, I, I cannot, uh, but I can tell you uh, the, the the phrase that uh, you and I know they point to, um, and, and I'm not saying I agree, but but there there's one phrase, and, and again, I believe in the Constitution, jot and tittle. Uh, but oh boy, <laughs> I, I wish that general welfare clause. Uh, maybe maybe wasn't there uh, because uh, uh, they use that general welfare clause as a catch-all for anything that they want to do, uh, and 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 it's unfortunate uh, because I and so if I were to uh, somebody were to ask me, well, what kind of uh, senator you know, who are you going to be like, and and you know I'm going to name a bunch of real conservative senators, you know the Rand Pauls, uh, and when I say that. The individual guys that I, we're not going to line up 100, percent but but they have some good, you know, Rand Paul, Cruz, and and others. Uh, even uh, the senator from Indiana, I like. He's a term limit guy. Uh, he's a chicken farmer, I think. Um, you know, senator Braun. Uh, he's he, but but really, I'm going to be like Massey. I'm going to be a senator that is going to be uh, a constitutional guy like Massey, and, and you're going to have somebody like that in the United States Senate. And, and so I am going to be able to form coalitions within the Senate uh, that we are going to have a lot of power uh, to get things done. And so uh, uh, that's, you know, to answer your question, that's the catch-all. Uh, I'm not saying it's right, uh, but that's what they use. That's what they hide behind uh, is the general welfare. Now, uh, to, uh, what Michael, we're doing, Michael, and if, can, I could, if I could just say this. Yeah, Michael, can you hang on just Bobby. a second? Michael, can you hang on a second? We're coming up against the show here. Uh, people, I want to just share with you real quickly. Can you hang on for a few minutes after the show ends and we'll continue on the video side? Is that okay? I would love to. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Tim. Thank okay. you. All right. I'm going to show people here. Uh, people, if you want to find out more about um, Michael LaPierre and his positions, you go to LaPierreForSenate.com. And uh, you can check those out there if you're interested in, in supporting Michael. If you're in the state of South Carolina or if you're outside the state of South Carolina and you want to support him, you can go there. You'll be able to see uh, his positions. You'll be able to hear some of his podcasts. I think you've got uh, Tara Servatius, who used to be on WBT over here. Now she's down here in South Carolina. You'll be able to check that out. So, folks, if you want to do that, do that. We'll have all this up in our archives after the show later this morning. And uh, you guys on Red State Talk Radio, join us on YouTube, join us on Facebook, Twitter, or any of those other platforms. And otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow. All right. Okay, so we're back here. Now, one of the things I wanted to do, Michael, was because I know you said that they use that, but I listened to your podcast, and you said that, that Trump masterfully handled the COVID thing and all these kinds of things. And you mentioned the general welfare clause. And I, I figured that's probably where some of that, where some of that was going, where you're talking about, but the Democrats, but, but Republicans use it too. And I just want to put a couple of things here. And, um, just so, if I, if you don't ahead. mind, I'd, yeah, I'd like ahead. to speak to, to the, so, so, so president Trump, uh, his role, he, he's been giving us guidance. Uh, right. I mean, that, that's his role. <clears throat> the governor's, uh, have been doing things that are not constitutional. So Trump's giving guidance. Uh, 
uh, you know, under the, the you know, my, my guess is under the general welfare provision. And McMaster, uh, it's really, really clear uh, when he's issuing these executive orders, uh, you know, he's got a 15 day period. Then he has to re reconvene the legislature uh, to, to get them involved. You know, the we the people legislature. Right. Uh, and he's issued a series of executive orders that are not constitutional. Our attorney general Barr uh, has indicated that they're problematic. And, and so uh, what we're doing right now at the state level uh, is not constitutional. Uh, and, and they've got to stop that. They've got to get us back to work right away. Uh, and, and, and hey, I'm a free American. I don't want some, uh, you know, some governor shutting me down, shutting my uh, economy down, my, my, my ability to, to work for my family. Uh, that is not right. And we need to get back to work. We need to open our country back up uh, like it was and let free Americans make decisions on how they are going to interact uh, prior to the COVID-19. This is a this is a socialist play. Uh, they've taken advantage of this, and and we've got a real that horse left the barn. We got we got to stuff it back in the barn. Well, I agree. Uh, and as I covered before, it's the president who's saying that he has the authority to reopen America. I mean, he put that in a tweet. I covered that. I think it was last week. So he's saying he has the authority to do that. So it's not just, I mean, yes, the governors did some unconstitutional things. That I think the president's done that. He's taken over um, hotels and private businesses to, to make these makeshifts, hospitals, and, uh, you know, called up the, the, the Army uh, Corps of Engineers to go and do that. I don't see any constitutional authority for any of that either. So it's not just, it's not just on the one political aisle. It's happening across the board. And one of the things I wanted to do was just read a couple of things and just get your comments on it. This is um, sure. this is from Madison and Hamilton in Federalist for, uh, number forty one. Madison denounced as a as an absurd misconstruction the notion that quote the power to lay and collect ta to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States amounts to an unlimited commission to exercise every power which may be alleged to be necessary for the common defense or general welfare. In fact, in refuting uh, this kind of misconstruction, Madison pointed out the first paragraph of Article 1, Section 3 employs general terms, which are immediately followed by the enumeration of particular powers. In other words, that umbrella that you talked about, I would use that scenario and say the general terms are the umbrella, and then under that are the specifics of what that generality speak of. And he and it's to explain and qualify or by a recital of particulars. So he went on and said, nothing is more natural nor common than first to use a general phrase and then to explain and qualify it by recital of particulars. But the idea of an enumeration of particulars, which we have, I think some people would count 18 things that Congress can write law about uh, up to 21, depending on how you count them. And um, they explain not uh, nor qualify the general meaning and can have no other effect than to confound and mislead is an absurdity. And then it was followed up by Alexander Hamilton. I'm not really a fan of his, but here's what he said. The plan of the Constitutional Convention declares that the power of Congress shall extend to certain enumerated cases. This specification of particulars evidently excludes all pretension to a general legislative authority because an affirmative grant of special powers would be absurd as well as useless if a general authority was intended. 
Um, and then there are several other things I could quote from the Federalist Papers. But to me, it almost seems like, Michael, what what needs to happen within whether it's the White House or the House of Representatives or the Senate, is we need some guys to start standing up, start reading these things and saying, this is what our founding fathers said. Not just say our founding fathers thought this because the communists and the socialists and the Islamists and the LGBTQ and whoever else is in there will stand up and say, well, our founding fathers, but they can't prove any of it. So I'd like to see some senators, some some representatives, even the president get up and start saying, okay, we're going to have a, a a press conference here, or we're going to take our time and here's what we're going to speak to. Here's what our founders actually said. And we're going to read them in context and we're going to say, this totally refutes whatever's before this body here. I mean, I'd like to see some education on that. How about you? I, I love what you're saying. And, and, and the, uh, the specifics are always uh, uh, easier to, uh, it, it really gets us right to the point, right? I mean, if, if instead of talking about the generalities, we open up the, the Federalist Papers, which is one of my favorite books, uh, besides the Bible, uh, I love my Constitution, I love the Federalist Papers, and then I love the Christian uh, history of the Constitution of the United States of America, written by Verna Hall. You know, those are the four, the four go-tos for me. And so, yes, uh, we, we need to 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 be bold right as a senator uh, i said before i'm going to be the massey type where we're going to get real aggressive and trying to drive us back to a constitutional framework and i will build alliances with others uh who share a similar uh view and we're going to get things done uh what 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 they have done in our in our you know, with this COVID-19, uh, I said in an article, and I'll, I'll be real brief, is that we've got the, the charter, the declaration, and we've got our bylaws, and, and we're protecting life, liberty, and the pursuit of, of happiness, uh, but we've got so out of balance. Uh, and, and the framework, it, it's an election year, and if, if we're just fully transparent, uh, would the same decisions have been made if it were not an election year? Uh, I doubt it. Uh, but it's an election year, and and, and they've uh, taken uh, liberties that um, uh, more than likely are not constitutional, and they went right to the health issue. They went right to the health. They forgot about our civil liberties. They forgot about our pursuit of happiness, uh, and uh, we've got to get that back in balance. You, you've got to do things that preserve life, preserve health, preserve civil liberties and preserve our pursuit of happiness, our pursuit of property and economic prosperity. And I'll tell you what, uh, as soon as you get extreme on the health, all bets are off. You know, our, our liberties go out the window. Totally agree. And, and our economic prosperity goes out the windows. And that is exactly what you've seen. Uh, the media formed and manipulated in the whole context. Uh, and, and it was mob rule. It was fear. And, and now I think uh, people are realizing uh, what what is happening uh, the, and, and, and we're trying to get that back uh, in balance. So, uh, yeah, we, we've got to uh, be more specific. Uh, I, I, I love your your strategy is, is you know, anytime I'm, I'm going it, to it's going to be a shocker to people when I'm in the well of the Senate. Uh, I am going to talk about. Uh, scripture. I mean, 
Israel. I'm going to talk about Psalms 122.6, the environment. I'm going to talk about Genesis 2.15, uh, you know, life. I'm going to talk about the, the verses that I ta- uh, mentioned before, Jeremiah and the Psalms. And, and, and so it's going to be a different world when I'm senator. The Bible will guide me. I will be you know, very direct uh, with the Bible, and I will be very direct uh, with the Constitution of the United States of America. I am going to be a, uh, a different sort of uh, a public servant. I, I will never take the label, Tim, of a politician because that's not who I am. I am a businessman. I am a public servant that's going to change the dynamics of Washington, D.C., Okay, let me ask you a couple of things, um, and then we'll we'll try to cut it because I know you got a busy day. You got to get to. Um, when it comes to things like the stimulus, which is has uncon- got a ton of unconstitutional spending, we get into these continual resolutions that has a ton of unconstitutional spendings. Their their budget they're not they're not funding the things that they say uh, prior. See, this is the funny thing. They'll they'll do the uh, general welfare clause, and then they'll come right behind that. And uh, they'll say, well, we can just tax on anything we want. We can duty, duties, imposed, excises, um, and all of these other things. We can do all of that, and we can just spend the money how we want. We can write whatever laws we want, and yet they're, they're limited to specific things. Now, I think I understand you to say that you'll stand against unconstitutional legislation, which is good. Part of that legislation includes spending. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me just ask you, if you were presented with this stimulus that was just passed— would you have backed that or would you have said no? No. no. Oh, absolutely not. Okay. No, I, I would not have backed that. And there would, there would be tremendous political pressure to back that. But I would not have backed that because that is a socialist candy store model. Um, it, 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 it's just appalling, uh, the stuff. They, they want to create the nanny, the welfare state. Uh, that's not what we need to do. What what there's, there's two ways you can handle the, the crisis. You can give people lots of free stuff, right? That's the Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer model and, and create dependence and, and reliance on the government. Or how about going back to, I don't know, the Boston Tea Party where, you know, no taxation without representation. Let's focus on the tax aspect of this. How about we take the excessive tax burden Right. As, as a, an option to just giving people stuff. Well, think about this thing in, in your mind. If we decided to take the corporate tax rate you know, down to, to zero for a period of time, or how about the entrepreneurs, which represent 90 uh, percent of the revenue base? How about we tax them at, 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 a, at a zero rate? What do you think would happen in our country? If, if I'm an entrepreneur and a small businessman, and I know that I'm going to keep for a period of time just to, just to get our uh, economies excited and juiced, if I'm going to keep every dollar for a period of time, I'm going to invest, I'm going to grow, I, I am going to do everything I can to make money and to participate. So we've got to figure out, instead of giving people things, how can we remove the barriers to spur uh, a robust economy. That's the focus. It's removing the, the red tape. It's removing the excessive taxation. It's not the welfare state. Uh, so I would I would have voted no. All right, good. I'm glad to hear that. And we had another question in there, and I think you alluded to something, but I, I would really like to get uh, clarification on that. 
uh, foreign policy and stuff. Um, I, we get our, we've got ourselves in a quagmire. Now, I've had Victor Porlier on. Uh, he and his wife had been ill for a little while, and they're kind of recuperating. So we're trying to see how we can have him back on on Tuesdays. We're probably going to have to pre-record those shows. But what we were doing was going through because of the issue of the assassination of Soleimani, which I believe was unconstitutional. I know people say he's a bad guy, but the the whole story that we were given sounds like the reason W you know Iraq had WNDs and all this other stuff. And we took we actually engaged in an act of aggression against another another country. And I know people say, well, they were doing this, they're doing. That. But the point is, is that that is an act of war. And Congress has the authority to call up an, uh, to deal with an act of war or to declare war. We haven't really done that since World War II. And some people have said, and I think we've even uncovered some of this in our history lessons that we've been going through with Victor, is that uh, Israel has a part to play in that. And we give them money, we do all these things, and yet this is not the Israel that the Bible speaks about. In fact, when we go to their Supreme Court, it's very anti-Christ. And John tells us that we're not to invite those people into our house if they carry not the doctrine that Jesus has come in the flesh or that God has come in the flesh. He identifies Jesus as, as God come in the flesh. And it doesn't mean that we can't speak to them, that we can't be kind to them and things of this nature. But I'm, I'm struggling to find out where it is that we give all kinds of monetary support and weapons and all kinds of things of this nature, technology, to another country, and, and, and not just them, any country, Saudi Arabia, all these um, aircrafts that we're sending, all of these, so it doesn't just apply there. But what would be your position on all of this funding to foreign entities with American taxpayer dollars? My, my position would, would be uh, similar to George Washington's, uh, and, and, and not to get attached at the hip with, with uh, other, other countries. Uh, I am I am an America first guy. I'm a nationalist um, in the good sense of the term, uh, and, and and I believe that we've got to do everything we can to protect American best interest, American national interest. I'm not a globalist, uh, and so we do not need to be the world police. Uh, no no question about it. However, we you know, we may differ a little bit, Tim, on the the the. I, I believe when I read Psalms 122.6 and it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and he shall prosper that loveth thee. You know, I, I think that's a, a predicate of our responsibility uh, to <clears throat> Israel. And, and, and again, we may differ there. Uh, I, I just believe that we need to be a friend of Israel and we need to protect Israel. So uh, I was for uh, zapping uh, Suleimani. Um, because I think he uh, created a clear and present danger to American lives. Um, uh, he killed Americans, oversaw the killing of Americans, and uh, he was—he's an enemy and was just ready to uh, orchestrate another another killing. Um, so I—I I, I think the president, as commander in chief, uh, I would—I uh, uh, thought he had the, you know the authority to do that. However, uh, to your point. Uh, he needed to go back uh, to Congress uh, and 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 declare uh, an act of war. But I think they're the presidents. Uh, uh, I think they have the authority to make some initial decisions to to protect us. 
but then I think they have to consult with the Congress. It, it's such a fine legal line there, uh, and I, I'm not an attorney, but uh, that that's uh, I, w- I would have done the if I was president, uh, I would have zapped Soleimani um, and uh, in a heartbeat. Okay, all right. Um, and uh, somebody had said something else. Oh, yeah, I was just going to make mention, uh, and we'll we'll sort that out. Uh, you know, and I I do I do think our, our theology drives. It uh, should be driving our political uh, ideology because politics is yes. nothing more than the exp- the um, expressing of what we believe religiously, if you will. And mm-hmm. so that happens in every culture, and this is what I've said. Every culture has a theocracy. It's just it, – it's dependent right. on the god of that culture. If it's humanism, well, your laws are going to be humanistic. If it's communism, it's going to be labeled – it's going to be humanistic. Uh, if yeah, it is yeah. – if it's based upon the god of the Bible, then it's going to be based upon biblical law. If it's Islam, it's going to be based on Sharia. So there's no getting around that. And if you're an atheist, well, then I guess anything goes because – I guess it's just going to determine on how you feel that day as to what the law is going to be, because there's no basis for why you would stick to one thing and say it's law. You would be changing that around uh, as your feelings change, as your experiences change and things of that nature. Um, and I don't want to get into a long thing. I, I, I do disagree. We've had some people who say they disagree with me on Israel, but I've I've talked about that. We're going to have Chuck Baldwin on, too. Uh, that when we come to the New Testament, it talks about we're not from the Jerusalem below, we're from the Jerusalem above, Galatians. Uh, he starts separating out exactly what Jesus said. He's saying, you know, you're of your father the devil. Well, they came from the line of Israel. Well, how can that be? Well, I think that he that what we see in the Old Testament, we start to see the the, the full expression in the New Testament, what that is. And so that's why I would say, and the other things, yes, I'm supportive of Israel that they can defend themselves. I'm supportive of Israel that that's their jurisdiction. That's what God's given them there in that land. I have no problem with them defending. But I do have a problem when we're going to say, okay, well, we might give people's money, which I don't see in the Constitution, to another country, whether it's Israel, whether it's Saudi Arabia, whether it's China or Russia or anybody. I, I just don't see any of that. And then the second thing is I don't know where we're uh, the people who are supposed to be giving our sons and daughters to protect the other countries in that capacity. I mean, we worry about other countries getting nukes. I mean, Israel's got nukes, uh, while countries around them don't. And so it's not to pick on Israel. It's just saying that's kind of a hot button of where a lot of things end up going. Um, and we know that there are a lot of people uh, who've, even with Donald Trump, but we did a show on that, uh, who bailed him out of his bankruptcy, uh, who were tied right there with Israel, people who gave to uh, big Sheldon Adelson, a uh, big supporter of Israel, uh, give money to that. And then we see, it almost seems as if there's favors there, depending on what this person, uh, like Mr. Adelson, would say in the media immediately that transpired politically. And so I have a little problem with that, but I agree with you that George Washington would say, we don't need to be joined at the hip with all these people uh, in those things. And and my question was just on the support monetary of taking the American people's money and giving it, not just Israel, any country uh, mm. in that capacity. I, I find that to be a form of theft, if you will. Yeah, uh, you make a good point, and, and I see your argument. Um, it, it, for me, it's it's going to get down to... Uh, what's good for America? What's good for for our national best interest? And um, you know, is it, 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 we we should not 
be the world police. I and and I think from a from a a, a technology standpoint, let let's assume hypothetically uh, that uh, we've got a country that goes in and, and killing Americans overseas. Uh, we have a responsibility to act, uh, and but uh, I think we've got to be smarter about our decision to act. Uh, there is in the world of technology where we've got sophisticated uh, drones and other measures available. Do we really, seriously, do we really need to put our Americans in the harm's way uh, with, with uh, feet on the ground in foreign countries? And, and I think the answer, uh, I think we know the answer. The answer is no. I think we've got so much technology that we can take care of business when we are attacked. Uh, we can take care of business uh, without having to put feet on the ground. Uh, Senator Graham, by the way, he's never seen a military uh, or a situation a around the globe that he wasn't wanted to get entangled with Afghanistan, uh, Syria. I mean, there's just a whole host of, you know, he wants to to be there. And then you go to his uh, uh, go to his donation page uh, in terms of who is sending him money and and defense contractors uh, are, you know, one of his leading donors. So, I, you know, you're going to have to figure out for yourself if there's a tie there. But but Graham has always been a war hockey. He's always wanted to get us involved in overseas uh, kind of commitments. Uh, I think we need to peel that back uh, and and do a lot less uh, overseas. Worry about America. But I, I will say this. I want to make sure, you know, your audience knows this. You attack America. You attack our citizens. We are going to be in your grill. I mean, that's that's uh, what 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 I believe. Well, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's that's part of the defense. I think that's defensive. And uh, I don't think any pro I don't think anybody would have a problem um, with if somebody is attacking America. Uh, I don't expect Donald Trump to run to Congress right and say, hey, could you guys pass a thing to declare war? I think he has to defend. I don't think that's def I don't think that's a war. I think that's a defense. But when you go and you're, you're going to start uh, taking out heads of state uh, in certain countries, I think that does require a declaration of war. And um, so those are some things that I that I would suggest. Mike, is there anything else that you want to let the people know well, before we let you go? Yeah, I, I just love this show. I love the I love your audience. Um, there, there's so much commonality uh, between my life story uh, and uh, and what your folks believe. I, uh, farmer. Uh, I'm a Christian homeschool dad. I love my constitution. I love my Bible. And, and I want to change the way that we think in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I know your listening audience is broad. Uh, it's, it's probably you know, all over the country. We need help. I, I'm just asking people all over the country, please donate to my campaign. We can defeat Lindsey Graham. We have an opportunity to put somebody in Washington, D.C., that's a constitutional guy that loves the country, that loves our Judeo-Christian heritage. And Lindsey Graham is too liberal for much, much too long. We, the people of South Carolina, deserve better. We want to run television ads all next week. And I'm asking you, please donate uh, to my campaign, LaPierreForSenate.com. Uh, and we are going to shock the world. We are going to shock the world. Think about this. 
if Lindsey Graham, Senate Judiciary Chairman, if we the people take him out, it will shock the world. All right. Well, that's Michael LaPierre. And Mike, I appreciate your time today. Uh, guys, we appreciate you sticking around for the extra almost half hour here. And Mike, appreciate your time as well. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to have Matt Trujella on tomorrow to talk about the doctrine of lesser magistrate. Going to do a pre-record with him. It won't won't be live. You'll probably hear me say live because that's what I'm used to doing. But he should be on, Lord willing, tomorrow. Going to do a pre-record later today. You don't want to miss that because this deals with the very thing we we're talking about about the health issue, and uh, what people can do and what they can't do when they're in a position of authority. So we're going to have Matt on to talk about that, and uh, Lord willing, we'll have it on at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Don't miss Bradley this afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you you can catch him here on YouTube, you can catch him on Before It's News and GCN Radio. Till tomorrow morning, see ya.